healthy puppy. Um, she named him Jonah, but over the years, we had him for 15 years, over the years, we just called him Jones. And, uh, and Deb loves animals. She has an incredible way with them. She, like, she's happy when she's with them. She just delights in them. And, of course, Jones was no exception. So here she is with Jones. Look up here, if we can have that photo, please. I did put it in. We don't have the photo of Deb with Jones. Oh. Is there another photo of him in his beanbag? That'll be my, it'll be totally my fault, but that's a complete letdown. <laughs> I forgot to tell Deb that I was going to do it, so I quickly told her bef- while we were singing. I showed her the photos to make sure it's okay for me to show them publicly. She said yes, and now you don't have them. <laughs> well, imagine then, imagine a very, I've got a copy of the photo here, you guys can't see it, but imagine a... <laughs> Very, very, very young and attractive looking Deb. She's sitting on the grass in our backyard and she's got this beautiful little Kelpie dog sort of on her knee looking at the camera. Imagine. And gradually she whittled me away. You see, I'm not really an animal lover. Um, If you left it up to me back then, I wouldn't have had a pet dog. Um, I'd be happy to have a backyard without the holes and the racing tracks and the other little things that dogs leave on the grass. I'd be happy to save a few dollars a week instead of buying dog food. And I definitely, definitely, definitely would never have had a dog inside the house. Now, Deb knew all that. So when we first got Jones, she never even asked me if he could come inside. She's a clever girl. But then one day it's cold and raining and she tells me that Jones would be probably very, very cold. And if he sat on the wet concrete outside, it might even make him sick. So with this sad, forlorn look on her face, she just asked me, could he he come in just for a little while? You know. And uh, if you fast forward then, Jones ended up spending a fair bit of time in the house. He even, and this is where the next photo was going to come in. We've got a photo of Jones. He's in his, belongs to him, his beanbag. And he looks like, looks like a king. (laughs) He sleeps inside in his beanbag at the foot of our bed. She whittles me away bit by bit by bit by bit. And a year or two later then after we got all that happened, Deb left before me. She went to Greece to visit her brother. And then a a couple of weeks later, I'm about due to leave Melbourne. I'm going to fly to Canada. Deb's going to fly to Canada. We're going to meet up there and stay with her family for a couple of months. And about the only sad thing for Deb when she was going was not saying goodbye to her husband. It was saying goodbye to her dog. She finds that really hard. So she leaves instructions in because after, after I leave, we've got these twin sisters who are going to come and house sit for us. So she leaves instructions and they get all taped up on the fridge. 
and they're purported to be written by Jonah himself, you know, so it tells the girls what they've got to do. Let me read them to you. Please feed me morning and night. I get a cup of dry food and some canned food. Also, can you make sure I have lots of clean water every day as I have trouble turning the tap on? I like to go on as many walks as possible, otherwise I get too full of beans. I have a number of friends who usually take me during the week. We're in this club in the neighbourhood. One is Barbara. She's retired. Her dog is Saffron. He's a whippet. She usually comes at 4pm. Another one is Lisa next door. Her dog, Jessie, Blue Healer, she comes at 5pm. Sometimes Mary, she's retired, and her dog, Jessica, is a Jack Russell Terrier. They take me at either 10am or 4pm. Anyways, you may see these people come to get me. Anyways, see, Jonah's an Australian dog, but he writes like an American dog, doesn't he? Anyways, you may see these people come to get me. Please leave my lead hanging on the gate so they can get me. Any other walks you have time to give me would be very much appreciated. I behave myself most of the time, and I'm usually allowed off the lead when I'm walking. Just tell me to wait at street corners in case I forget. I sometimes get lonely at night all by myself. So if you're home watching TV or whatever, I love to come inside and sleep in my beanbag for the evening. I promise I'll be good. Just tell me to get in my beans. Now I want to confess something to you, friends. After Deb left, and before I left to go to, to Canada, I was home by myself with Jones. And guess what I did? I let him sleep inside in his beans. I spent extra time with him than what I usually would. And when I sent an email to Deb in Greece, I let her know like it was like proud parents. I let her know how Jones was doing and I told her a few funny stories about what he'd done. And you see that I love Deb. And the love that I have for Deb compels me to want to please her in any way I can. So while she was away and before I went, one way that I knew I could bring great happiness to her was to, was to look after her dog the way that she would. And I suddenly looked down and I thought, man, look at that. There's this great big list of instructions on the fridge. And I'm keeping every single one of them. But I'm not even thinking about the instructions. That's the last thing on my mind. I just want to love Deb. And I don't even feel the need to tell Deb, hey, listen, by the way, Jonah's sleeping inside and I'm taking him for lots. Look at her. I don't even think I have to tell her that. Not even important. Now, I'll bet you, I'll bet you any money at all that you have thought about God before as, as the big policeman up in the sky and he's got all the rules and regulations, all the things that you have to do and all the things that you have not to do. Yeah, I bet you. And he's there with those rules and regulations to toughen life up for you. I've thought of him like that too. In fact, I've got a confession to make. Last Thursday night, Deb and I are on our way home we're driving down Bolton Street in Eltham. I see a police car. I don't even slow down because I look at the speedo and it says I'm going 60, 61. I think I'm in a 60 zone. Don't even slow down. 
Next thing, flashing lights, they pull me over. And um, they've actually clocked my speed before I saw them at 71. And they inform me that I'm in a 50 zone. Wasn't the night like... I feel a bit guilty now telling you the end of the story. <laughs> Do you want to know what happened? <laughs> Beck, 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 Beck just yelled out, you got out of it, didn't you? <laughs> God got me out of it. Because <laughs> the minute that policeman came up and said listen I decided just to give you a warning and then he left and Deb said thank you Jesus you know because it was going to be $330 but police you know they're just there to give us rules and regulations aren't they make life tough you remember this letter that Paul's writing? We're doing it here on Sunday mornings, Mill Park Baptist Church. This letter to the Colossians. And in our Bibles, it just, it's just called Colossians. But it's a letter. And the big purpose of his letter, we've seen this several times over, haven't we, is that he wants to show these people that Jesus is actually enough for them. Because they've got people in their ears telling them that Jesus is not enough, that you've got to do a whole lot more than just Jesus and at first glance, we can sort of look at that and think, well, that's, you know, that's Colossians, you know, 2,000 years ago, good. But we've seen week in, week out for the last few weeks just how absolutely relevant that is to us today. Learning that we've got, we've got all sorts of additives around us. And we're convinced that we need those additives. So when Paul's saying, hey, Jesus is enough, Jesus is more than enough. Pretty relevant. So if you were thinking this morning, if you were sitting here this morning thinking that you had somehow to do a bit more, that you've got to earn it. You've got to earn it. Jesus' love. Now, I, I, look, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, that, that if we say you have to earn Jesus' love, the, the natural reaction is, no, I know I don't have to earn Jesus' love. But if you go anywhere deeper than the surface level and look at your lifestyle or my lifestyle, and you have, have a real good look at it, and you're going to see this this morning, through things that we do as people, we do go looking for God's love, and we think we've got to do a little bit extra. Come take a look at us and see. See whether any of these line up for you. And this one this morning, um, if anything, it's maybe not quite as practical. A lot of the time we go out of here with a, hey, how about if you do this, 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 and this? Maybe not so much of that this morning as a, hey, let's open up our eyes and see some of the things that happen. You ready? Look at this. Firstly, Paul says, don't get judged. This is in Colossians chapter 2. Verse 16 and 17. If you've got your Bible, read it with us. He's talking now about what we call legalism. Who's heard of legalism before? All right. He's talking about legalism. And legalism, really, you're going to see this, it's the religion of rules and laws. Look what he says. Don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. 
For these rules were only shadows of the real thing. Christ himself. Paul's first attack here is on legalism. Legalism. Legalism is the religion of human achievement. Legalism, that's what happens. Listen carefully to this. It's what happens when we convince ourselves that we have to fulfill a list of rules and regulations and to do certain things in order to get ourselves into heaven or in order, have you heard that phrase before, just to be a better Christian. You've got to fulfill rules and regulations. Paul starts that whole passage with the word so. You saw that? So. Don't let anyone condemn you. Well, last time, last week, we looked at the verses immediately before this. Paul had told these Colossian people what it was that Christ had done through him, through his death on the cross. Stuff like this, when they were spiritually dead because of what they had done wrong, remember, and we were spiritually dead because of what they had done wrong and the nature that made them do what was wrong, that had made them spiritually dead. Jesus had made them alive. Jesus, he said, Jesus had forgiven or pardoned. He'd forgiven or pardoned them for everything they'd ever done wrong and everything that they ever would do in the future. Pardon was done. Um, Jesus, remember this, the certificate of death or the death warrant that had been written out for that person. And we said last week, for you, for me, death warrant, you are going to be executed. And he'd taken that death warrant and remember it said he'd nailed it to the cross. What he'd done for people who followed him. And we reminded ourselves last week that Jesus had done exactly those same things for us if we're authentic disciples of Jesus. And not only has he done it, but it cannot possibly be done any more or any better than what it's already been done. And so, when you know all that stuff, don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. See it? You see, it's not, it, like, it, it, it's, it's because of those things that Paul goes into this description of what we're looking at this morning. That's why he uses the word so. So, first command there, he said, let, let no one condemn you or let no one act as your judge. In other words, friends, don't let a list of rules and regulations get in the way of what Jesus has done for you. Don't be legalistic. Don't be like this. Like, I mean, what rule are you going to follow if you pull up at this intersection? What are you going to do? You see, the people of Colossae, they're being intimidated by false teachers that are making them feel like that. People who are telling them that it's not enough for them just to have Jesus, but they also need to keep the Jewish ceremonial law. You know what? By now, the Jewish ceremonial law, and we, we, we often know, you know, what we call the Torah. It's the first five books of the, of the Bible. And in there, in, in there, sorry, the Pentateuch is the first five books. In there is the Torah, the law, the Old Testament law. These people had adapted that law. You know what? They had 639 interpretations that came from that Torah. And so they'd taken these things that were maybe then traditions of like, I mean, I mean, this is just, you know, if it was a modern day example, you have to sit in the same seat each week here in church. 
All right? And we sort of say that as a tradition because it's easier for us, but then pretty soon that's sort of, you know, morphed. So now we think that's a law. So if you don't sit in the same seat, you did the wrong thing. Had all these laws, and they, you know, they were probably based on dietary laws from the Old Testament, the sort of things that they could eat. Festivals, you know, he talked about festivals. You know, the annual Jewish celebrations, Passover, Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Lights, sacrifices offered on the new moon or the first day of the month. Sabbath day was the day when they required all the people to worship and had its own exhaustive list of rules and regulations just for the Sabbath. And Paul ripped into these dietary laws and the festivals and the new moon sacrifices and the Sabbath day rules, these rules and regulations which helped them to make up a package of legalism. And he said, did you see it? He said, they're just a shadow. I love it. I experienced this this morning, you know. Um, anyone here who... If you walk or run and it's, it's dark and you go along and you're on the footpath and you're running along or you're walking along and as you get near a street light, then you can see your shadow behind you and you keep going past the street light and your shadow catches up with you and then it passes you and it goes past you and just when you think it can't go any further, then you get near the next, traffic light, the next street light and so the new shadow starts. It's not real though. It's just this, just this shadow. It's not real. The reality is, listen carefully, the reality is that Jesus Christ has wiped out the need for a written code of a whole long list of things that we need to do and to fulfill to get into heaven. Don't believe me? Look what God says. God saved you by his special favour when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. So none of us can boast about it. Hey, how, how could legalism have affected you? You got your little list or maybe your big list rules and regulations. Look what Jesus said. He said this to the people who were the experts of rules and regulations. He said, how terrible it'll be for you, you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. You're hypocrites. For you are careful to keep all the rules and regulations. You tithe even the tiniest part of your income, but you ignore the important things of the law, their justice and mercy and faith. Yeah, you should tithe. In other words, he doesn't say that the law is not important. He doesn't say it doesn't matter. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. We fool, hey, we fool ourselves so consistently, so widely, so badly when it comes to legalism. You know, Karl Marx, he said that religion, religion is the opium of the masses. In other words, we just use religion as, as this, this crutch that props us up and makes us feel okay about ourselves, makes us feel good about ourselves. That's legalism, yeah? Because we're good enough. We're doing enough good things. Hey, I wonder, is your religion based on legalism? Please don't be looking at, don't be looking at a shadow and thinking it's real. 
Easter. Look at this. I once, Paul said in Philippians, I once thought all these things were so very important, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yep, everything else is worthless when compared with the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I may have Christ and become one with him. Look at this. I no longer count on my goodness or my ability to obey God's law, but I trust Christ to save me. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, not on a list of rules and regulations. You know what? Rules and regulations, my friends, they're made up by people, not God. So legalism's out the window. Secondly, Paul says, don't get disqualified. It's in verse 18. He's talking about mysticism now. You know, mysticism is when there's a quest for a greater experience. There's got to be something more out there. I've got to, got to do something to experience this. He says, do not let anyone disqualify you by making you humiliate yourself and worship angels. Such people enter into visions which fill them with foolish pride because of their human way of thinking. They do not hold tightly to Christ the head. It is from him that all the parts of the body are cared for and held together. So it grows in the way God wants it to grow. So Paul, first of all, he says, hey, listen, forget about legalism, rules and regulations. And now, second one, here, it's mysticism. Mysticism, that's just the, the pursuit of a, of a deeper or a higher subjective religious experience. And especially it'll come for people through contemplation or some sort of psychic experience. Mysticism would believe that spiritual reality, whatever that is, is sort of out there somewhere. And it needs to be perceived or crystallized or actualized. Now, even though this letter was written, you know, 2,000 years ago, the Colossian people had gotten themselves into something that was remarkably similar to our society and our culture today. You know, I joked with you earlier about all roads lead to God. You know, that's a bit of, really, if you sum it up, that's, that's kind of what we think about in the new age movement of today. It equates really, really well with our postmodern society as well. In the new age, you see, God is perceived as being one of us. So, therefore, we're equal with God. We're God too. God and nature. They're the same. You heard someone say, oh, just get out, just get out in nature and that's where I, I... Well, God and nature are the same. That's what we call pantheism. Any sort of religion, religious experience is okay. Any God, small g, any God is okay. You can have yours, I can have mine, and that's fine. We just exist together. That's what we call dualism. Spirituality is only about realizing the full potential within yourself and the energy of the universe within you. And then if you merge that with nature, then you will, trust me, you will reach your destiny in whatever way you want it. If you're not naive to this idea of mysticism, because you might not even have heard the, heard the word of mysticism before, but if you're naive to the idea of it, it's actually incredibly subtle. If you're ill-informed about it, you know what? It can take over your whole life. 
under the guise of a healthy spirituality. Look what Paul says here. He said, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. So if you look at these guys, you know, here we go. Um, just about to start their race. Don't, man. This was a, this was a, a meme or a gif, you know. Suppose that guy, it's not working. It was working on my computer. I haven't had a good morning for computers this morning, have I? See this guy up here, and now I just need my pointer to show it to you. <laughs> but I haven't got it with me. By the way, the pointer, the pointer, the pointer, all right? Last week, if you're in church last week, we had a malfunctioning brand new pointer, you know, state-of-the-art pointer, and it didn't work properly. The problem was that I hadn't charged the battery, all right? So now it's charged, and it's working perfectly. Thank you, Andres, for that. So if I had my pointer, I'd point to that guy up there. See with second guy from the edge there with the grey. He's got his arms folded and that. And he, he breaks the line and he does a false start. Anyone been disqualified from a race for a false start before? Anyone? Anyone been disqualified from a race for a false start before? Anyone? Anyone here been disqualified from a false start because of a false start in a race before? Oh, Nathan. <laughs> Sorry, mate. If you get disqualified for a false start, it means that you got fooled. Paul's saying, don't let mystics tell you that you don't know the truth. Don't get caught up on some wrong idea. Don't buy a lie. Whatever you do, don't let someone run you down the wrong track so that you cannot win the prize. He said these people, they, you know, in one of the other versions, it says they delight in self-abasement. So these false teachers, they actually have a false humility, which in truth is ugly pride. And he said, and they, and they worship angels. The worship of angels, that was, that was a heresy that plagued that region where Colossae was located for centuries. So these false teachers, they're showing this false humility. They're worshiping angels. They're taking their stand on visions that they've seen. That's what it says there. They claim, they say, we've seen dreams. We've seen visions to support what we're teaching. It's dangerous stuff. And you see, many of our religious abuses even in the church today they're based on so-called visions you know when, when someone say they saw this and here what Paul's saying is that is that if you and I if we're disciples of Jesus then we have to hold fast to the head of the family and that's God it's from God that the entire body grows that's what he says the body, it's supplied, it's held together, just like a family is, and it's not based on mysticism, but it's based on the objective reality of God's word. I will build my life upon your word, and I will not be shaken. It's upon your word that I build my life, not some mystical experience. Now, where's your spirituality based? Maybe we already hit it for you. It's legalism. Or perhaps you've been down the mystical path. You know, you're looking for some spiritual experience in something else other than a knowledge of Jesus of Nazareth. You're searching for the hero inside yourself, maybe, and just, just willing yourself to achieve your destiny. You've made up your own little God. 
or your own little recipe for finding God. No need for all this, friends. No need. God is not, God's not out there somewhere. He's here now and he wants to know you personally, intimately and closely. You know a little thing? I wrote this earlier in the week, but just this morning I was reading and I came across a new name for God that some of you might have heard it before. I'd never heard of this name before, Jehovah Shammah. Who's heard of Jehovah Shammah before? One or two, thank you. You know what it means? There's there's a whole lot of names. You've heard of Jehovah, you know, um, Jehovah Rapha and Jehovah Jireh. This one, Jehovah Shammah, never seen it before. You know what it means? The Lord is there. And we can interpret as the Lord was there. Looking back, the Lord was there. The Lord's there. You don't have to go somewhere else to find God. The Lord's right there. How's that? God's not out there somewhere. He's right here. Look at this. Paul says in 1 Timothy, this is good. It pleases God our Savior for he wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and people and he is the man, Christ Jesus. Truth. Rules and regulations, friends, they are made up by people, not by God. Um, Thirdly, Paul says, he says, yeah, um, don't worry about legalism, don't worry about mysticism, don't get fooled. Don't get fooled. He's talking now about asceticism. And that's the use of rigorous self-denial. You know, there are some people who want to live a life of rigorous self-denial. Now, self-denial is not automatically bad. Jesus spoke about it. He said, if you want to follow me, then you have to deny yourself. Paul spoke about it. He said, you know, I buffet my body and make it my slave. So it's not, it's not talking about you know, any form of discipline, but it's talking about using that form of rigorous self-denial. The false teachers at Colossae, apart from their legalism and mysticism, they're also teaching this asceticism and where they're telling you, listen to this, whereby strict, severe self-denial practices, then you can supposedly rid your body of evil. Anthony, he was the founder of Christian monasticism. He never changed his vest or washed his feet. Simeon Stylites, he did better. He thought that the path to spirituality lay in exposing his body to the elements and withdrawing from the world. So he spent, this is true, he spent the last 36 years of his life on top of a 50-foot high pillar. 36 years, and see, they used to take food up to him in a basket. 36 years, he never came down. Confession time. Anyone been up on a pillar this week? Thinking that if you just... Yeah, I know you didn't climb up a 50-foot high pillar. But thinking if you just... Try a bit harder. You'll make it. Have you? There's no need for legalism. 
There's no need for mysticism and there's no need for asceticism either. Why? You know why? The answer is, it's unequivocally, friends, the answer is because Jesus has already done everything that is necessary for you to know him in his fullness. There's nothing more that's got to happen. Look at this. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2. He says, you've died with Christ. He has set you free. Past tense. All done. He's set you free from the evil powers of this world. So if that's true, someone inform me. Someone tell me. Why, if that's true, would you keep on following rules of the world? Such as don't handle that, don't eat that, don't touch that. Such rules, they're human teaching about, about things that are, that are gone as soon as we use them. Those rules, they may seem wise because they require strong devotion and humility and severe bodily discipline. But they have no effect when it comes to conquering a person's evil thoughts and desires. Asceticism, friends, that, 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 you know, the use of rigorous self-denial. Useless? You know why it's useless? Because it focuses on things which are destined to perish. Now, to be sure, Paul agrees, asceticism might make a person look like he or she is as spiritual as ever because if someone's really disciplined, we say, oh, man, it's, you know, emphasis on poverty and humility. But it only serves the way that, that legalism and mysticism do to make us think that we're spiritual. You know, here you're just holding yourself to ransom so you can scrape into heaven want to do a bit better. Now, I mean, I think for our citizens, we live in a fairly undisciplined and unproductive age, don't we, in many ways. So because of that, not many people here would identify with the actually being ascetic in their lifestyles. And, and many of us here, we just think, oh man, I wish I, wish I could be. <laughs> I wish I could get myself out of bed in the morning. I wish I could go for a run. I wish I could control what I eat. Um, but, you know, if that, if that discipline is telling you that to know God, you have to have that discipline, then it's gotten off track, hasn't it? Hey, it's like a, a shadow. It's not a, it's not a real thing. Um, we, re- we act so easily to substitute a real, radical, life-transforming, all-consuming knowledge of the biblical Jesus. And we just sort of substitute that for our own little definition of Christianity, don't we? We've got to understand that. Any of you feel, any of you fooled? Hey, just like I thought I could win dogs, win, win, <laughs> win dog's heart by looking after her, Deb. <laughs> In Deb's heart by looking after her dog. Um, I didn't have to do that. Like, I already had a heart. When, you know, look after Jonah and then she'll marry me. We're already married. Just, there was no need to do anything. Nothing at all. Hey, just as we finish, um, 
in, in a moment, while I ask Beck just to stop playing in a sec, because I want you to watch a little clip. No, 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 Beck's doing the right thing. I, I asked her to come up here and play. She's doing the right thing, but now I'm just going to stop for one minute, because I want you to watch a little clip, and I want you to look at the look on Johnny English's face, right as the clip closes. And I want you to ask yourself, hey, could that be the look on my face if I was shadow boxing? The greatest secret agent England's ever had. Snuffed out in an instant. Terrible. But you know what makes us envied the world over buff? That there's always another agent waiting to step into the breach. Absolutely, sir. And every last one of them is gathered round that grave. It is our honour and privilege to guard them while they grieve. Their lives are in our hands, Bob. Everything in order, English. I think you'll find it's rather more than just in order, sir. You're now entering the most secure location in the whole of England. Let's pray together. Let's pray together, friends. Um, is it going to be a shadow? Is it going to be a shadow or is it going to be something that's real? Hey, the, the good news, the good news of Jesus is that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. The goodness of it is in, in God's promise, His unequivocal, earth-shattering, eternity-lasting promise. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you shall be saved. God's beautiful promise that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's beautiful promise then that as we're saved, that we're not saved through good works that we've done. We're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift. Jesus is more than enough. I'll just give you a moment, just, just, a, just a moment or two just to reflect on what we've said today. As we said, maybe not so, so practical of things that we change so much as understanding the way that, that we think and the things that can motivate us and drive us. Just give you a few moments to do that. And then, um, then our worship team will lead us into worship as we do that together.